welcome to Best Comics Ever, the podcast by Comic Book Herald. I'm your host, Dave Busing, and you are listening to Season 1, Episode 22 of the Best Comics Ever inaugural debut. Today I'll be talking about new completed arcs released in Marvel Unlimited mid-November 2018. We'll be going over all of the issues that uh, make up complete story arcs from the Marvel Legacy era that we've now hit being added to the Marvel Unlimited catalog. The stories we will go over today in short order, Tales of Suspense, Rogan Gambit, Mighty Thor, Punisher, and Avengers No Surrender. If you don't want spoilers for any of those stories, I will not be discussing them in spoiler-heavy terms. Nonetheless, I would recommend you go check those out on MU now if you want to have the background first. Uh, I'd like to thank, as well, support on Patreon before we get going here. Thank you for supporting Comic Book Herald and Best Comics Ever. In particular, I would like to thank today Mysterious Benefactors. These are the Patreon supporters who support at the Mysterious Benefactor tier and get the rewards such as uh, thank yous on the podcast. So thank you today to Jesse W. for support of Comic Book Herald. And thank you, Trey McLemore, for your Mysterious Benefactor support. Without further ado, here are the newly completed arcs, stories that you can read in full on Marvel Unlimited. I'm going to go over them in order of the ones that I prefer. So I've ranked them. Um, Again, I've got five complete story arcs that I read here that have now been added. The first is Tales of Suspense, number 100 to number 104. This is in line with the sort of Marvel, Marvel legacy um, idea, which was, you know, call back to the, the earliest days of the publisher, as, as short-lived as that idea was. Uh, Tales of Suspense, of course, was one of Marvel's earliest titles. It's where Iron Man originated, actually, in Tales of Suspense, number 39, which I actually just read as part of the My Marvelous Year Club, which I would recommend you check out. Um, go to MyMarvelousYear.com or, or check out My Marvelous Year in the podcast app of your choice to subscribe to that one. But that's a digression and a little plug. Tales of Suspense, in this case, is not Iron Man related. It is written by writer Matthew Rosenberg, and it is a Hawkeye and Winter Soldier team-up story. Uh, the two characters don't typically get put together very often, but this is a team-up in which they attempt to... Um, deal with the fallout and the ramifications of a death in Secret Empire. Now, if you haven't read Secret Empire and uh, you don't want to know who dies in that event, then I recommend you skip ahead about a minute uh, because I'm about to tell you, spoiler warning, that Black Widow is killed in in Secret Empire, and she is killed by the evil Captain America. I'm not going to go into the full details of Secret Empire, other than to say it was a pretty widely controversial Marvel event. Uh, came out in 2017. It was written by Nick Spencer, and it was, you know, it, it made Captain America evil. It made him with ties. He was a sleeper Hydra agent, uh, so was, you know, effectively a Nazi by proxy, Uh, or working with Nazis by proxy, and this rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, uh, particularly in this time in um, American politics. That said, Black Widow was killed. She's the major character death of the issue, and Hawkeye and Winter Soldier, they are basically, uh, Hawkeye in particular, Clint Barton, is, is not really believing that she's dead. He's seeing clues, he's seeing kind of mystery and intrigue, suggesting she might still be alive, and Winter Soldier is following a similar trail. So you have both of these 
uh, former romantic interests of Natasha Romanov kind of working begrudgingly together. The dynamics between Clint and Bucky are are really well done by Rosenberg. Um, Matthew Rosenberg, the writer here, he's one of my favorite new writers that I've I've been reading over the past couple of years. He's a clear part of kind of the new Marvel bullpen. You've got this roster of sort of post all new, all different Marvel lineup where you have writers like Donny Cates, probably at the top, um, then followed by Rosenberg, Kelly Thompson, Ed Breeson, uh, and a few others. But they are kind of the new class of talented Marvel writers, and they're very good. And Rosenberg in particular, does he does humor exceptionally well. Uh, if you read Four Kids Walk Into a Bank, which I've talked about on here before, it's published by Black Mask. It's one of my favorite uh, comics of all time. Actually, it's inside my top 50. And it's a recommended read that I will keep promoting uh, so long as I continue to mention Rosenberg's Marvel work. But here, Tales of Suspense, he does a really nice job with Barton as kind of the goofy doofus who's, you know, always getting into trouble and is terrible at spy stuff. And Bucky, of course, as the hardened expert who has been through some stuff. So the duo work together. They follow the trail of the seemingly Black Widow. And, of course, this involves all sorts of Russian red room and mystery and intrigue. And at the end of the day, it's a way for Marvel to uh, quite quickly sort of undo the impact of Secret Empire and bring Black Widow back. So when people talk about death having very minimal meaning in in superhero comics, uh, you know, this could definitely be held up as a prime example, I think, because... Marvel is is trying to, they're almost trying to move away from Secret Empire as fast as possible. Um, in some ways, I appreciate that Tales of Suspense at least follows up on it and doesn't just pretend it didn't happen. Uh, it's the same thing actually that um, Tanahisi Coates in his Captain America run with artist Lionel Francis Yu, that is part of the Marvel Fresh Start initiative going on currently, uh, they're actually addressing. This, the secret empire components of Captain America's history. And again, I if you're going to do the event and you're going to have it happen in the Marvel Universe to the degree that it happened, it was a huge deal. Um, I do appreciate series at least addressing that in, in semi-intelligent ways and Tales of Suspense does that nicely. Yes, it brings Black Widow back almost immediately. Um, yes, it's semi-predictable in that regard, but it's a good spy story with... It's kind of got that... Um, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang style with Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer uh, buddy team up where it's, you know, part comedy, part action. And I'm pretty much always here for that kind of story. So Tales of Suspense, number 100 to number 104. Uh, It's not an all-timer. It's not going to be, you know, one of my most talked about Marvel comics. But from the Legacy era, it's pretty solid. And if you like those characters, Hawkeye and Bucky, I recommend checking that one out. Next on the list, I have Rogan Gambit, number one to number five. This is a miniseries written by the aforementioned Kelly Thompson with art by, I want to say, Perry Perez. I could be off on the name. I apologize if so, because I really like the art in this. It's a great looking comic. Uh, It really makes Rogue and Gambit pop. These are two characters. So as as I'm sure most Marvel fans and and most X-Men fans certainly are very aware, Rogue and Gambit are the couple that most people um, kind of came to the X-Men 
four in the 90s, right? They're will they, won't they romance. They're, you know, the the sexual tension of the fact that they cannot touch lest Rogue absorb Gambit's power has been played with ad nauseum. Um, for my money, they, they've never been two of my favorite characters. I just am not that into them. Um, nonetheless, this series is really, really well done. Uh, it made me care more about Rogue and Gambit than I typically would. I had very low expectations, but again, Thompson is such a gifted writer and has a good sense of humor and has a really great sense of these character dynamics and the history. There's a lot of continuity that goes into the Rogue and Gambit backstory, and that's played with here very effectively. Um, and this miniseries is really good. I, I highly recommend that X-Men fans uh, or people like myself who maybe weren't as into Rogue and Gambit in the past, check this one out. Uh, again, it's five issues, simple, easy to dive into. It's fun. Uh, basically, Rogue and Gambit are put together um, sort of, you know, Rogue definitely kind of uh, not wanting to be teamed up with Gambit. They're placed by Kitty Pride, leading the X-Men, uh, on a sort of secret spy mission into a couple's therapy island. And you better believe hijinks ensue. And uh, again, it's it's a lot of fun. So Rogue and Gambit was my second pick for uh, newly completed arcs of Marvel Unlimited this round. Next on the list, we have a much bigger in scope story. Uh, it's Mighty Thor, number 700 to number 706. And this marks the conclusion of Jason Aaron and Russell Dowderman's time writing The Goddess of Thunder, aka Jane Foster, as Marvel's new Thor. Jane has been Thor in the Marvel Universe since about the tail end of 2015, giving her a three-year run. Now, Jason Aaron's time on Thor extends back even further than that, writing the God of Thunder series with artist Isad Ribich uh, beginning in 2012. So Aaron's got now a six-plus-year run on Thor, and again, about half of that is with Odinson, aka the male Thor that most you know MCU fans would be familiar with, has been deemed unworthy. He cannot hold Mjolnir, and uh, instead, Jane Foster, his former romantic interest in the the early days of Thor comics, she is the goddess of thunder. And Mighty Thor brings all that to a conclusion. With uh, there's this war of the realms going on. Malekith, the Dark Elf, has all nine realms basically in chaos. There's battles and wars raging everywhere. Uh, this is not a an arc that you can pick up without the backdrop of. I, frankly, I would read the entire Jason Aaron time writing Thor because it's very good all the way starting back with um, God of Thunder, and it all does tie together. I think at a minimum, you have to start with all new, all different Thor, Goddess of Thunder, uh, to really get a feel for what's going on here. And again, it's it's well worth a read. Um, I don't know that Aaron's writing and plotting is, is as good in the latter half of this arc, honestly. It gets... It gets so big and chaotic in scope that, frankly, it's hard to to see what he does best. Um, but Russell Dowderman, the artist on this, uh, really grew, in my mind, into an absolute superstar. Uh, he's one of Marvel's best artists. He's one of my favorite artists in superhero comics. And he, throughout the arc, even when the plotting is less interesting, I would point to, for example, the Shi'ar War that preceded this. Uh, Dowderman's arc is is a spectacle. It is It makes the coolest use of of thunder and matthew wilson's colors and of sound effects in particular are just these giant epic 
things all over the page. It's Dutterman is is absolutely fantastic, and that continues here throughout the final arc, the last days of the Goddess of Thunder. And basically, what happens is the Mangog, a villain of Asgard that I previously did not care much for, um, he shows up, and again, he is on a path of destruction. And basically, the Mangog is this nigh undefeatable beast that just wants to wipe out the gods. He is. Raging at the gods' failure to uh, protect his own people. They were wiped out by Odin in a past life, and he is a billion, billion raging souls that is here to destroy Asgard. So, if you've been reading the arc, this is a no-brainer. You've got to check it out. If you haven't, I do highly recommend you go back and check out the full Jane-Thor arc um, and time period because it is some of the best work since Secret Wars ended in 2015. This particular arc um, is is good. It is of a piece with the the final days. I think of this arc coming to a to a close. If you've enjoyed it to this point, I think you will continue to enjoy it. If you've been out, I don't think this will do much to change your mind. Um, but it's again, it it really hones in on Jane's hero's arc, which is nice. It gives her time to reflect and look back on what is meant to her to be a hero. And I one thing I find really cool about it is Jane's been Thor for about three years now, and there's obviously been, you know, much consternation over the fact that a woman was made Thor by certain members of, I guess, what would be deemed fan culture, although that doesn't seem like a very good fan to me, frankly, to not give a new character a chance. And it lets her look back at, and it lets her conclude a story in a way that, frankly, Odin's son would never really be able to. So for my money... This was one of the most interesting turns in Thor that has happened in years. It was a necessary turn that I think brought out some really great story. And it also generated one of the more interesting Odinson Thor stories uh, in the Unworthy Thor miniseries, five issues that are very, very good. So I think in general, my takeaway here is this is a good read. I recommend it. Uh, you can go to comicbookherald.com, check out the Thor order because it does get... Um, a little messy in terms of continuity and kind of hops all over the place with different books but let characters change let them be different and and wield it in new hands and see where the story takes us and a lot of times that generates the best the best material and i think mighty thor is a testament to that next on the list in completed marvel stories we have punisher number 218 to number 222 this is the actually might be to number 223 this is the punisher war machine arc written again by art, or writer Matthew Rosenberg. And uh, as it as the title suggests, this is basically Punisher gets some war machine armor and goes global. Um, it's fine. It's okay. I mean, it's the first issue I think is very good in uh, Nick Fury Jr., aka Samuel Jackson Nick Fury in the Marvel 616 Earth, uh, tracks down Frank Castle, who is a wanted criminal. And he basically says, my hands are tied, shields collapsed. There's nothing I can do about these global situations that will reflect poorly on me should they get out of hand. Uh, hey, go break into a shield facility, get some war machine hour armor, or I guess it's actually an Air Force facility, get some war machine armor, and uh, and go take care of these problems for me. And Frank does just that. He gets the war machine armor, and uh, and all sorts of explosions ensue. So it's, uh, again... It's fine. If you like the Punisher, it's okay. I think it'll actually get better once Frank kind of gets out of the global context because I, I've I've never turned to Punisher for sort of what it means to be abroad and at war, and uh, and Rosenberg tries to tackle that, and he's there's some very good 
humane moments and Punisher finds, you know, civilians of uh, Eastern Europe who are, you know, basically like farmer, just trying to live out their days. And uh, it's, it's humanizing to a degree. But again, I, you know, the comic is mostly big dumb action and, uh, you know, even bigger than usual, given that the Punisher is wearing this insane armor. So I do enjoy seeing Punisher trying to figure out, you know, a Stark design, the War Machine armor that uh, the James Road would have been would have been wearing prior to his death in Civil War II. But uh, yeah, this one's for Punisher fans only, I would say. I wouldn't really dive into it unless you're a dedicated Frank Castle nut. And that brings us to the final arc that I wanted to talk about, which is Avengers No Surrender. This is the big weekly series that ran for uh, issues number 675 to number 690. And it's written by a team of writers in the sort of DC 52 style with 52 alum Mark Wade, uh, Al Ewing, who is one of my favorite writers at Marvel at the moment, and Jim Zub. And uh, it is drawn, I think, majority by uh, Pepe Larraz. And No Surrender is, it, it's a tough one because it's not objectively bad, I don't think. Um, but I don't love it. It's not good. Really what it is, is it's a, it's sort of a contest of champions follow-up, um, in no small part because you have the Grandmaster orchestrating, you know, some of the, much of the action. And the Grandmaster is this, um, elder of the universe who loves a game, can't turn down a, a challenger contest. And basically what happens is he, uh, is playing a game against, a new elder that pops up here, the challenger, and basically, excuse me, uh, basically as a result, the Avengers Earth is transported out of time, a huge chunk of heroes are frozen, and basically unable to participate in the No Surrender event, giving the the writers a core unit of Avengers that they can focus on. Um, it's definitely going to make more sense to readers who have been following the various writers uh individual avengers arcs so for example wade's been writing all new all different avengers and ewing's been writing uh us avengers uh previously the oh what was it i'm blanking but the team led by roberto da costa uh the characters and and units are going to make much more sense if you're familiar with those um seeing as those are not my favorite avenger stories you know that doesn't that doesn't necessarily translate to this being that much better. No Surrender plays with some decent ideas. Again, I like I like the cosmic use of the Elders. Um, it brings in Thanos Black Order as a villain and a new Lethal Legion. And one of the biggest things it does that made the most headlines was Avengers No Surrender brings in Valerie Vector, an all-new character who is presented as a founding member of the Avengers that all the Avengers sort of suddenly remember. And she is interjected where basically it was her um, who was along for the first, you know, 60-some issues of Avengers, as it would be, in time. And uh, the comic actually does a really fun job of using text from these old Avengers issues uh, as if they were spoken by Valerie Vector, but it's narrative captions. So it takes sort of that omniscient narrator voice and says, actually, this was Valerie speaking. We just, you know, forgot about her over time. So it's sort of predictable where this is going to go with Valerie being a new founding Avenger. Um you know, if you're at all familiar with the century from the early 2000s, you probably have an idea. Nonetheless, it's it's a decent introduction to a new character and if not a new idea. All in all, I would say No Surrender is for very big fans of the Avengers and 
and especially of these most recent arcs. And otherwise, it's just sort of a nice transition period to get us to, uh, in particular, the new Avengers arc and uh, series like The Immortal Hulk, which has been well worth it. So not a, not a super high recommendation, but it's there. Um, again, I don't love the weekly comic strategy rolled out like this, uh, but it, because it's kind of fast and basically you can tell the work is, you know, slightly rushed as a result, especially the artwork here is, uh, for me kind of creating, I really did not enjoy looking at these issues in the way that, uh, an Avengers comic in 2018 probably deserves. So not my fave. Don't, don't really recommend it, but again, it was kind of a big deal. Um, it doesn't do a ton in terms of moving the ball forward or continuity or anything like that. So you'll be just fine moving along Avengers without it. And that does it for the new stories in Marvel Unlimited this round. Again, you've been listening to Best Comics Ever, presented by Comic Book Herald. You can go to patreon.com slash comicbookherald to find out how to support and learn more about the site. Music for Best Comics Ever is by Anthony Weiss. You can go to anthonyweis.com to hear more of his music. Thanks for listening, everybody, and as always, enjoy the comics. (laughs) 